Welcome to the Breakfast Leadership Show, where we interview global thought leaders on business, leadership, and life. Here's your host, keynote speaker, best-selling author, and chief burnout officer of the Breakfast Leadership Network, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I've got Claire Connor online. Claire, how are you? Hi, Michael. I'm very well. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I'm really looking forward to this conversation, and I don't believe that you and I will debate on this, but we might. I'm not sure. Uh, you do a lot of work in this space, so why don't you share a little bit about you, and we'll dive into the conversation. Sure. Um, well, Michael, I'm the CEO of Intelligence Squared US. We're the nation's only nonpartisan, nonprofit debate organization. So what that means is we're a media company. We bring both sides together of any kind of issue that could be technology, science, law, public affairs, current affairs, foreign policy, something that's unfolding in the public square. And that's kind of a point of division. We bring both sides together and we have a debate about that question um, we have a few different formats that we produce these in. We started out in this very formal Oxford style, you know, debate, and the audience would come live and vote. And during COVID, our business was disrupted. We really actually expanded um, and produced a lot more content for podcasts, radio programs, uh, virtual streaming, television. And um, now we're a weekly show um, that you can listen on your NPR station in your in your local market. Um, and access everything online. So, you know, I really kind of consider us to be a destination, the go-to destination to hear two sides of an issue. And that is something that is so desperately needed and not to mock the uh, other media outlets, but they tend to be very one-sided. They weren't always that way. When cable television and cable news first came out, yeah, you'd have leaning one way or leaning another way, but there was still uh, some, you know, seeking to understand the other points of view, but it just seems, especially with social media uh, taking fold, it, it's just, everything seems to be very far one way or the other and no real dialogue. It's just been accusations and finger pointing and not getting down to, well, let's talk about what the differences are. And and I know you know this. I know this as well. There's a lot more in common with all of us than there are differences. But unfortunately, we don't we don't get to hear and see that a lot when we're consuming media in a variety of different ways. I mean that's true. That's what we're really working toward. Um, it's one of the reasons we structured this as a nonprofit organization because this is also very much an educational initiative. Um, introducing people to a critical thinking process um, and a model for disagreeing in a healthy and productive way. And so debate can be used in many different sorts of applications. Um, what we're what we're doing, of course, is curating content. So we work with conferences, events, media companies, um, and we put together a really dynamic, you know, exchange of ideas. And then we distribute that broadly to the public and to educational outlets, um, because we think that this this model, you know, the idea that you can come together with somebody you really disagree with, doesn't have to be made personal. It doesn't have to get toxic. 
It doesn't have to be disrespectful or devolve into ad hominem attacks. Um, this could really be a way that we synthesize ideas and that we get more information to make better decisions. One thing that I've noticed, especially when you bring people together that you, you think wouldn't get along or they're completely different opinions on some things, you know, I see the... I don't know how long it's been, but you know the friendship between former presidents Clinton and George W. Bush. Now, if you would have told me 20 years ago that these two individuals would be friends, I, I would go, okay, on what what universe? Uh, I they they seem to be complete opposites, but they obviously have different political opinions on things, but they enjoy spending time together. And I and that's that's something that I think we all should long for. I I I feel horrible that society is the way it is today. That friendships and relationships end because someone has a different point of view on a particular subject or political platform or whatnot, and it it it, it tears tears me up thinking about that because we can all have all of these ideas come together, debate and, and discuss why this is important. Because whenever I have a disagreement with somebody, I seek to understand why is that your viewpoint, but not in a condemnation type of way, but more in a curiosity. Why, mm -hmm. why? And then they share the reasons why, and it brings awareness. It educates me. Could it sway my viewpoint on it? potentially, but at least it gives me a better understanding why they are passionate about that particular matter, whether it's my wife or it's friends or someone across the table at a coffee shop, whatever the case may be, instead of, okay, why, why do you feel that? And if they articulate it in such a way where it looks like that they've done some research on it, besides just you know catching a news clip, that tells me, okay, they are invested in this. They want to learn about this. So that's when I take the time and go, okay, well, let's educate me on this. Let's, let's see if I learn something new on that. And I, I think that's gone because of social media and, you know, 10 second sound bites and 140 characters or 280, whatever Twitter is now, you know, real short things. And I think that's where our consumption has been driven to and those longer let's get to the bottom of this and have a, a conversation about things uh, seems to have been uh, lost in the shuffle of all of this. Well, I think you brought up a good point. You know, a lot of people react to issues now um, with feelings and really heightened emotions. And that makes a lot of sense because a lot of these issues are dealing with questions of human rights equality, justice, even these issues, we can sit down and with a structured format and with an emphasis on being informed, using evidence and fact-based research, um, kind of elevate from I feel this way to I think this way because. And I think that that's where debate takes a more analytical approach doesn't mean that you take any emotion out of it at all. I mean, in fact, personal anecdotes are possibly some of the most compelling arguments you'll ever hear in a debate. And it's part of the art of persuasion. Um, but right, it is, it is, I think you're right in terms of, you know, social media. Look, these are really big, complex, loaded ideas and everything that we're dealing with from like climate change to gender equity 
to, you know, the impending recession, what's happening in our country in terms of economics and global economics um, with, you know, everything that we're looking at with, say, the supply chain to uh, an era of geopolitical instability. And these aren't questions or topics that you're really going to get an in-depth understanding of in 140 characters or reading one new source. So, so debate is able to say, hey, we have this question about, you know, the dominance of China um, in the in the coming century or with the global supply chain and whether the positive and negative impacts of globalization or the war in Ukraine. What should the world, how should we be responding to this? Um, you know, just to fire off tweets or read a couple articles, um, it's it's really not enough to understand the why something's happening and then the how we could actually fix it. So that's what our media company is all about. You know, it's great work. And as you were talking about this, you know, one of the things that I encounter a lot in the work that I'm doing and the conferences and whatnot that I speak at is now that we have entered the next stage of the pandemic, uh, the debatable on post-pandemic or not really depends on who you talk to and, and their feelings on it. Uh, but the- And where they live, and where they and, live. I'm based in New York City. And there's just, you know, when you're in a, an area of extreme density, um, I think there's different concerns versus if you're, you know, somewhere where there's a rural you know, more, much more open air lifestyle. So, you know, I get the concerns from both both sides. I do too. And, you know, where I, I split my time between Toronto and San Diego, Toronto, not as dense, although there are pockets in Toronto that are much like Manhattan and other parts of New York City that are really close quarters, but there's other parts where it's a little more wide open. And if I see somebody wearing a mask, I'm not giving them any grief. Um, I don't know their situation. They may be, you know, really you know fighting something or dealing with cancer or who knows what i don't know so i i don't judge people i do my best you know humans we judge it just it's our brains programmed to tell us here's this and this but i i don't judge people on whether or not they want to wear a mask i just make sure that i take the precautions that i do need to do to make myself healthy and i think that's the best for everybody but one thing that you came to mind while you're talking is now that we're in whatever stage of the pandemic that we're in and people are starting to go back into the office, there's that debate of in office or working remotely all the time or hybrid kind of approach. And there seems to be, you know, in a lot of the stats and companies I talk to, there seems to be a divide where some employees are saying, wait a minute, I've been working remotely for two years. My productivity is actually higher than it was before. Why do I have to go back to my cubicle and drink that lousy coffee? I'm getting the work done here. And employers are like, no, we need you here. So if there was ever an arena for proper debate, uh, the working remotely versus in-office debate is something that is desperately needed for a lot of organizations because they're not having those conversations. They're just saying it's going to be this or this without any any real dialogue or input. So I'd love to hear your yeah. thoughts on that. Well, uh, you know, this is a debate I'd really like to bring to the stage, you know, or the show, I should say now, if we don't, if we're not recording it live. Um, you know, I think somebody like Adam Grant, 
is publishing a lot of really great insights about this. And um, I bring up Adam because we just produced a podcast with him. He wrote a book called Think Again, which is an exploration of checking your bias, trying to understand how other people are thinking, and also how to debate really in a, in a constructive way. And uh, he thinks the same thing. I mean, this is something that we're seeing in terms of the, the debate about back to work post-pandemic. I would love to consult him and somebody on the other side and, and bring that conversation together. If I was going to give you my personal opinion um, as the, you know, the head of a, for a small media operation, but there are definitely advantages to having the team together. There is a return to in-person um, experiences, and we have traditionally been a live debate platform. So, so going to events and having these, you know, unscripted dynamic conversations where two people disagree about something is kind of what we do. So, um, it's not realistic for us to have a, a policy that's, oh, we're going to do all of these remote forever because something's lost in that transfer of energy and ideas um, of, of the in-person forum and in-person experience. But that said, I mean, there's definitely, in terms of commute times and based on what market you're in, there's very good arguments to be made that you know certain positions don't need to be in the office all the time, um, that, you know, you could come up with a, a hybrid model that works for, for everybody. What we arrived at here, we took a, you know, poll from the team and discovered people like both. They, they, they really like seeing their colleagues. We get a ton of stuff done faster in person. Um, you know, having decision-making, bringing everybody together, you just get a different creative you know, energy and transfer of ideas. But that doesn't mean that there's by any stretch of the imagination, a rule that you can't work from home, or that even the policy isn't flexible. So what we've kind of arrived at together in this organization is we're, we're in the office for those of us that are in New York, um, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then working from home Monday and Friday. And there's flexibility even in those those three days because we travel. So just in the last six months, we put on a debate in Brussels at the Brussels Forum on, you know, Russian isolationism. We put on a debate in Chicago for this convening of food scientists um, and talking about the future of food. Uh, we were, we, we have a debate, or now we've had two events in Washington, D.C., um, and we have folks remote. I have people in DC, in Scottsdale, Arizona. Um, they're, they're traveling in for these events. So what I learned in terms of having balance for your, for your team is, is you want everybody to perform at their best. Your job as a leader is to, is to build a team that's exceptional and to play to everybody's strengths so that they're performing at their best. And if you have dynamics in that team and you already have people working remotely, which chances are you do now, then you need to have a policy or not even that, that word is, you know, for some people that's an allergy, <laughs> but, but a strategy in place that you're all working toward goals and how you get there is kind of adapts and reflects the goals. And I think that you get to a much more balanced place, you know, we're all 
trying to get to a summit. We're trying to bring the smartest, most informed, best debates that you'll ever see to the to the world. Uh, we're all working toward that goal. You know, we have a lot of um, integrity and points of integrity and editorial guidelines that we're following and new production initiatives and live experiences that we're building. And I found the majority of that can be done remotely because we've honed our ability and we're a small team. So we're nimble. But there's just something that you're going to lose if you if you don't bring your people together. It's bonding. It's mentoring. You know, it's it's really a team dynamic that you can be so strong remotely. Yeah, it makes a big difference. I spoke at a uh, insurance event last month, and organization that during the pandemic basically doubled in size. So they actually brought their entire team together for the first time uh, since the pandemic started. So there were people that were meeting each other physically in person for the first time. And it was, they were, everyone had this sense of happiness and relief. A couple people were a little apprehensive and I understand that because it may have been the first time that they've been in a group of that size. So like we talked about before, it's just understanding and respecting other people's viewpoints. But it, for me, it was like, okay, this, there's a lot to be said about the in-person. I, you know, if I had to pick, I'd say hybrid, but what makes sense for your customers don't forget them because they need it and you know and harmonize it with the team and and have it be agile so it can adjust accordingly but again as you were talking it reminded me of something that when I was in the hotel, I just came back from a conference earlier this week, and I was in the hotel before uh, going to the event, and I had it on one of the news stations, and they had two guests you know, that were on screen, and they were you know, from different sides of a political race, and I forget what state it was. Uh, and you know, they were you know, getting pretty heated with each other. And I'm thinking to myself, if these two people were in the same room, would the temperature be the same? And I thought that even before, you know, thinking about our conversation today, and you know the answer to this, for my sense, it's, it wouldn't be the same because there's, it seems like that many times the, the camera and being distant um, seems to, I don't know, the politeness kind of goes away a little bit and, or just the heat of the moment kind of thing. Because if you're having a debate with somebody, but they're literally in the same room with you, there's still that human connection where it's like you're a human being you have you know loves desires things dreams aspirations and you want the best for that person even if they're completely different ballpark of something if you're in the room it's a different temperature than if it's across the screen that's just my sense with all of that so again not not trying to sway people one way or the other on remote work versus in person but I, I I agree with you wholeheartedly on the there's a dynamic about the in person that uh, has not been yet replicated in this virtual world I don't know if it ever will be yeah. but um, I don't think it can be honestly I don't think you can I don't think you can replicate it um, and I think it comes down to one thing and that's trust because to your point if you're in person and you're having say an argument or a disagreement or you need to clear some issues, Doing that on Zoom is actually really impersonal versus being in in person, reading somebody's body language, reading the crowd if it's an event, um, being able to connect 
have have a conversation that's not curated, you know, in front of a screen. It's just so limited to me. So I think we all went into survival mode. We did amazing things this way. We learned lessons that we can continue to apply in the future. Um, but I don't think you can really build trust in a team without having that human connection in a relationship. That's how we build relationships. So, I mean, a lot of our team joined during COVID as well. We, we did quite a bit of growing into a weekly radio show. Um, and it was really amazing to see people come together for the first time. And it, we have this bond of we all survived this way. And now, you know, we actually get to celebrate, you know, the, the relationships that we have built and they just get a lot stronger. So I think it's essential. Um, I think it's essential to building a team, a successful company. Um, but I think there should absolutely still be flexibility because you want the best out of your out of your team. Yeah, I agree. And surviving the pandemic has created in many organizations, especially like yours, you know, that grew during that time, you know, a band of brothers and sisters. It's like, look what we accomplished when the odds were against us. Now we are here together hold on, watch what we can do now. And that's where I see happening with your organization, especially as I think society is getting tired of the social media, you know, punches in the face kind of mentality and more of a, let's have a dialogue and have a conversation about these very important matters and get, get to some resolution on some things that people can live with and we can move on and grow instead of being restricted because we're, we're constantly arguing with each other. And maybe you don't come to a resolution, you know, I mean, sometimes you'll, you can still disagree. You learned something if you were listening and, you know, perhaps that, that enforces your, reinforces your point of view, or you have a reason now to think a different way, but, you know, either way, I, I'm hopeful that that our program and the work that we're doing is elevating the conversation because you can only get so deep. You're only scratching the surface of these things in social media. You're getting pretty sensationalized headlines. Um, you're getting the cult of personality served up, you know, through through all these individual Twitter feeds. And how do you parse through this just deluge of information that we all get on a daily basis? To understand, um, you know, what are the facts that we can actually agree on? Uh, that's a different conversation for, for maybe another podcast, but there are actually facts on both sides of issues. Um, and, and that evidence should inform the conversation and help frame what are very complicated issues. Um, and, and for us to actually have a deeper understanding of them, we do need to listen to, to deeper conversations. Uh, we call it long format in the media world um, versus, you know, the, the Twitter sphere of your, you know, now expanded 140 characters. <laughs> but, but ultimately, those, those aren't um, in-depth debates. And that's really not where decisions are made or policy is, you know, decided on. Those things do happen through relationships, deeper understanding, and, uh, you know, being able to, to come to a consensus. So, you know, we, I think, I think social media has probably been pretty destructive to, to having in-depth conversations or building an in-depth understanding. Um, sometimes it isn't easy to decipher what's real and what's not. And, and, you know, there needs to be a lot of work done around there. And there is, 
from news organizations and really interesting startups that are that are working to combat, say, misinformation, you know, and confusing stuff that gets out there. Um, but but what we believe is that you really need to sit down, spend some time learning and digging deep about an issue, and then hear to serious thinkers or very experienced voices on both sides of that issue to understand it. It's all about education, my friends. So it <laughs> uh, always goes back to that. So Clay, I love this conversation. Where can people find out more about you, your show and everything else you're doing? Yeah. Oh, no, definitely. It's um, Intelligence Squared US. Um, we are on every major podcast distributor. So Spotify or Apple or Google or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, our, our tile is white. You'll see it. We're often, you know, go by IQ2 or just Intelligence Squared US. Um, and, uh, you know, you'll, you'll be able to visit our website as well. IQ, the number two, US.org. Intelligence Squared US.org. I'll definitely have all that information in the show notes. So, Claire, thank you again for this very, very important work. Uh, the world needs it, and I'm so thankful that you were able to spend some time with me today. So, thank you so much. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to The Breakfast Leadership Show, part of The Breakfast Leadership Network. Visit breakfastleadership.com for tips on empowering your business and your life.